God's plan for a healthy church. This is our study through the books of First and Second Corinthians. Conduct in the church is our topic because that's Paul's topic as he has hit about chapter 10 and he starts working through a little bit of chapter 9, chapter 10, working through conduct in the church. And specifically, Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, and so that's where we are. So if you're new here today, that's what we're in the middle of a study uh, of spiritual gifts, uh, God-empowered ability in the church, special, uh, unique to the individual after salvation that is for the common good. I'd like you to turn. We're going to serve our time today because we have a lot of things still to come and a missions report coming up of a, a short-term missionary trip that's coming up, and we're going to do that at the end. But if you would, turn in your copy, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 11. That will be uh, our focus today. Starting at, but to each one. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard. You can find that. That's the Lachman Foundation edition. You can find that in the, in the chair in front of you, around you, or I will give you as our, is our habit verse cue so we can stay together in our reading and just read the one that you memorize and study on a regular basis. And once again, I hope this is not your first time in the Word this week. If it is, you're starving this morning. And we don't want you to be starving, all right? We want you to feed yourself throughout the week. And then as you come here, we do corporately then what is part of your regular time in the Word during the week. All right, look there at verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Verse 10, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit work all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Let's stop right there. Church, of course, is the body of Christ, the habitation of God through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is active in the church, empowering the ministries of the redeemed. It's really marvelous to think of, really, as we think about today, that the Holy Spirit desires to be at work and is actually at work uh, in various kinds of gifts, various kinds of ministries, various kinds of effects, as we saw at the beginning of this passage. God's work accomplished by flawed individuals going on right now who have determined to present their bodies as a living sacrifice and minister for the benefit of other members of the body of Christ. It's really amazing that that's actually going on, that God chose to work that way through his Holy Spirit in the body. It's happening now downstairs in our children's church. It's happening, it happened earlier today in our Sunday schools. It's happening in the nursery. It's happening now. The Holy Spirit ministering, perhaps as you pray for someone who the Lord's brought to your mind or you encourage someone as the service is over, you are doing that as you are ministering your spiritual gift in the power of the Holy Spirit for the common good. So it's an actual physical work that's going on that actually going on around us. So it's just very amazing to see the Lord at work. Paul has been giving the church some important guidelines on how to recognize actual gifts of the Spirit, what they look like, how they act. And really, we're just, uh, just getting into this, really, uh, as we look at the study. We haven't really moved that far uh, because we've had to define a lot of things and, and put some parameters there. But I think that as you have begun to see and get your feet wet here, you begin to see the reality of God at work inside the church and what he's doing. Throughout the life of the church, the Holy Spirit's been working to make sure the church has what she needs in every era. So it's not that you know, the Lord was at work in the, first, in the early church and now he's not at work anymore, but he's actually at work all the time, seeing what the church needs in every era and giving uh, the gifts. And, and Paul 
gave the Corinthian believers and now gives the Berean believers what they need to know so that we are not, as he says, ignorant of those things which are of the Spirit. Now, if you're new with us, we are comparing Scripture with Scripture as we work our way through. That is our habit to do that. The Bible explains the Bible, and so we can work our way through, uh, cut out a section of Scripture, and if we can transplant that in other areas and it says the same thing, we know we have it right. And so that's why we do that. So today will be one of those days We'll be, we'll be in a number of places where you'll be able to compare Scripture and enrich your understanding of what's going on. Now, we've seen, as we've worked our way through and making uh, these things clear, uh, we have uh, seen the categories of speaking gifts, we've seen categories of serving gifts, and because the Lord is faithful to give the church what she needs in every era, we've seen categories of temporary sign gifts, and we've seen set categories of permanent edifying gifts. And a lot of that groundwork was laid in the last couple of weeks. So if you're unfamiliar with that or those words uh, seem unfamiliar to your ears, let me encourage you to go back to Sermon Archives on our website at BrianJourney.org and you can catch up with where we are today. So I won't go back all of, over all of those things. Now in verse 8, we saw the first of two of the nine gifts Paul is going to mention in this passage. So look there with me in your copy of God's Word and we'll do a quick review the next five minutes and we'll be into new, new message material. So look at verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And we looked at those already. We saw both of these appear to be speaking gifts and both would appear to be permanent edifying gifts. And we gave you all the background information uh, for all of that and all those definitions. And so I'd encourage you to go so you can see how we came to those conclusions. Then look at verse 9. Uh, to another faith by the same Spirit. And last time we pointed out uh, that uh, Scripture includes, uh, indicates really that faith must be seen as God's gift to us, all faith. And so we're going to identify some special faith that this is the special spiritual gift that God is speaking about. And because of the way Paul writes, that's the understanding that we have to have. Paul's referring to a special faith that's over and apart from faith that all believers have. And Paul is limiting it to a certain group who have this special gift. That's who he's speaking of. Every, every believer has faith. Every believer is required to increase their faith. But this is a special gift that the Lord has given to his uh, few in the church to minister to the church for the common good. This special spiritual gift of faith, again, as we saw last time, uh, it is uh, a consistent, enabling faith that truly believes God in the face of, here it is, overwhelming obstacles, human impossibilities. So that faith is very firm. It appears to be a special endowment of confidence in God and his promises that individual believers can have, which enables the possessor really to lay hold on God, accomplish some great things because they know what God's word says, and they just pray in faith and act on those things. It is a serving gift, as we saw, although it may need to be expressed in speaking, initially perhaps in prayer, a lot of times those with special gifts of faith will hear that in their prayer. As they pray, we'll, we just get encouraged just by listening to them speak the truths of God, praying in, in, uh, in, according to God's will. And so it may be uh, initially spoken through prayer, but it is a serving gift. It would also fall into the category, as we saw last time, a permanent edifying gift. Again, as we saw, permanent edifying gifts are gifts the Holy Spirit gave for the building up of the church. The gift was prevalent in the early church, and the reason why we say it's a permanent edifying gift still active in the church today. People with this special gift help the church move forward in faith. They're integral to the church moving forward and doing the things uh, the Lord wants it to do. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it's one of those three things that the Holy Spirit tells Paul, those three gifts that will abide. Faith will abide. Other gifts will pass away. Faith will not pass away. And we know someday it will become sight. Now look at the next part of verse 9. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And we saw that uh, it was, again, a serving gift, a temporary sign gift, 
uh, as is and, and is this gift is the spiritual remedy or means of a cure for various kinds of ailments and disease. Gifts is plural, so it's not just speaking of you know just uh, just chickenpox or just whatever it was. Okay, paralysis. It could be leprosy. It could be all kinds of things. So it's gifts of healing applied to a very broad uh, a broad ground. We saw last time at work all across uh, Judea, all across Jerusalem. Uh, during that time of the, uh, the apostles and Jesus' ministry, perhaps whole towns, sections, and areas free temporarily of disease, of sickness because of this gift. Now, it is a spiritual gift that was given to confirm the apostles' person and message and a visible sign to the Jew. We saw that the exercise of the gift of healing and similar gifts was never discretional, and I got a number of emails about that. Here's the thing. In other words, the recipient didn't decide they would heal someone. Okay, it wasn't their, their discretionary call to say, okay, I have the gift of healing and I'm going to heal you. As we saw that Trophimus could have been sick, Paul couldn't have healed him. Paul was sick, he couldn't heal himself. No one else could heal him either. This was according to the Lord and how he decided to work. Uh, there were manifest manifestations only in certain circumstances so that the message and the messenger would be verified. Okay, so that is, we saw the gift of healings was a temporary sign gift, a serving gift, a temporary sign gift used for specific circumstances in a certain era. Now we saw in verse 10 and another, the effecting of miracles. Now I would say, let's go back there really quickly because I've, I've answered this a few times, but I, I don't want to skip over it. The Lord can certainly heal. We saw James that there's a process, even in the, even in the New Testament church, where uh, if, if some sickness is connected to sin, that there might be a confession, uh, a mutual accountability, and some things can happen where the Lord can heal. He can choose to heal anytime he wishes. You can pray and the Lord can heal. What I'm speaking of here and is what Paul is speaking of is a spiritual gift of healing which was a sign gift, a temporary gift, uh, a serving gift that was used to verify the message, used to verify the messenger, used as a sign gift, a visible sign gift of their, to the Jews of their rejection of the, of the Messiah. And so all these things were part of this establishing of the church. Okay? So we don't want to be, we don't be unclear as we read what's going on in Acts and seeing the setting up of the church and what had to occur in order to verify the message and the messenger, the Holy Spirit was at work, that the church, the new church was actually true and part of what the Lord wanted to do. We move into the epistles and we see that being refined and how that's supposed to work its way out in the church. And so that's why we use both of them to help us see that transition. Now look at verse 10. And to another, the effecting of miracles. Now this was a spirit-empowered gift that was understood as the working of deeds, as we just really transliterate that, the working of deeds of power contrary to nature. The idea there is, is it, the sole purpose was to display the power of God. And once again, a serving gift, and again, it would also fall into the category of a temporary sign gift. Biblical examples would include the raising of the dead, turning water into wine, feeding of the thousands, you know, quieting a storm, walking on water, the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, and there were a number of other ones that we talked about. But once again, uh, a, temp a serving gift, a temporary sign gift, again, verifying Jesus, verifying the apostles, their message, and their person, so these things were done. Now, there's no indication, once again, just so that you can you remember this, there's no indication that these miraculous gifts were to continue in the church throughout the church age. In fact, the church history indicates that they did cease, which we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 13, that the Lord indicated through Paul, as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, that that would be the case. We don't see in Scripture a promise that the extraordinary gifts are to be restored by the Spirit of God to the church before the Lord comes back for his saints. We don't see any place in there where we see that that's supposed to be the case. Revelation 11, uh, certainly, we didn't mention this last time, but certainly seems to indicate that the two witnesses which the Lord will send to the earth during the tribulation time will be able to work miracles. But once again, it's a time of judgment. 
It's a tribulation time. We have miracles as a sign of judgment to unbelievers that the Lord's at work on the earth. Once again, those who don't believe, uh, the wicked seeking a sign, and they're going to see these miracles performed, which will show the Lord is actually concerned about the earth's welfare and concerned about what's going on here. Now, although we don't see any indication of the continuance, listen, of temporary sign gifts or the pre-tribulation restoration of any of these temporary sign gifts, we do see lots of warnings about them being counterfeited, both in the church age and right before the end of the church age. And we looked at a number of those places, and we'll see more of those as we work our way through the passage. And once again, I just refer you to some of the other messages, and you can catch up on that. Now, for now, let's look at the middle of verse 10. We're going to continue then uh, in our uh, comparing Scripture with Scripture to help us understand our passage. Here's the next one. And to another, it says, prophecy. So another group of folks that the Lord is going to give a special gift that's going to be for the mutual benefit of the church. And this gift is prophecy. Now, I'll give you a, a, uh, a definition there, and I'll leave it up there enough for enough time for you to write it down, and we're gonna, then we'll flesh some things out, and we'll give some clarifying remarks so we understand what we're talking about here, okay? Now, this is a spirit-empowered gift, a, a speaking forth, if you will, a proclaiming publicly, that's actually what prophecy is, a proclaiming publicly the truths of God. It's a spirit-inspired gift for edification, exhortation, consolation. Obviously, it is a speaking gift, and would appear to be a permanent edifying gift. Now, as we said, just a couple of clarifying remarks so we can, because we could spend the entire morning just with this, okay? So I want to clarify, and hopefully you'll get a good firm foundation you can stand on. If you have further questions about this, feel free to, to uh, send me an email, text me, let me know uh, where, how I can clarify this better. Now, there are elements of, in prophecy, of predictive prophecy. There are elements of new revelation. And understanding this part of the spiritual gift of prophecy must be included in our understanding of the gift. So that's what we're going to do. Just kind of clarify what we mean by proclaiming forth, what we mean by when we say predictive prophecy and revelation. The Old Testament prophets spoke the word of God to their generation, sometimes predicting the future, which indeed is, is sometimes the mark of a true prophet. And in fact, let's go there. I'll just click that up there for you. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, 21 is a great illustration. And here's, here's what the Lord says. He says in verse 21, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? In other words, they're listening to someone speak. And there's a whole, there's a whole body of, of, uh, of a conversation that's going on here. The prophet supposedly is standing there proclaiming uh, the word of the Lord. And so they get to the end of all of that. And then they're kind of asking the Lord, so how do we know what part of this wasn't from you? So how, how can we discern what was and what wasn't for you? How, in other words, that's why it's worded that way. How will we know uh, the word which the Lord has not spoken? So there's a whole bunch of stuff. How can we discern it? And then the answer is, verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true. So once again, we're talking about what? Predictive prophecy. So in other words, this is going to happen. All right. The Lord has brought this on the people or as the false prophets were telling... Um, peace and safety. That's what the false prophets were saying during the time of judgment in the Old Testament. It's peace and safety. It's peace and safety. No problems. Okay? So here's what the Lord says. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. In other words, don't worry about anything he said because he's lying. He's saying he's speaking the word of the Lord, but he's not. So there's certainly this uh, this is the word of the Lord, meaning in the speaking gift of prophecy with the intent of foretelling. In Amos 3, 7, and 8, it's fairly clear there as well. As, as uh, once again, the, the, 
uh, Hebrew people get this instruction. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. So in other words, the Lord's just saying, listen, I'm not hiding stuff. I'm just going to surprise you with it. I'm going to tell my godly ones, and they're going to tell you. The prophets are going to tell you. If I'm going to do something, I'll pass it on so you know what's up. Verse 8 says, a lion has roared, who will not hear? So just making a, a reference to nature, uh, you know, you're out, in the, you're out in the wilderness and a lion bellows and you're, you're, you're paying attention. Where is it? What's up? Okay. And so if a lion roars, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? So the ones who hear, the ones he picked to give his word to his people, he speaks to them. And just like if a lion roars when you're out in the wilderness, you're paying attention. So are his true prophets. And he, they pass on this information that the Lord wants his people to know. And that could apply to predictive prophecy, and it could, it could apply to new revelation as well. The fathers and the prophets brought forth new revelation, predictive prophecy, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But they most often, now catch this, they most often spoke to the needs of the present. That's what they did most often. The vast majority of what happened was the prophet speaking the revealed word of the Lord over and over to the people. Now, if you think about Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it can help us make a transition uh, from the time of the fathers and the time of the prophets in the Old Testament to our time. Now, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, or through the prophets, the in and through can be used indiscriminately there. So the idea is there, after he spoke long ago to the fathers through the prophets in many portions and in many ways, so he gave them visions, he gave them understanding, he gave them dreams, he spoke to them specifically and gave them all of this, that spoke to the fathers in the prophets in many portions, in many ways, lots of different ways he did this. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the word. Now, the world. Now, let's, let's kind of parse that out a little bit. The apostles, obviously, have the elements of predictive prophecy and new revelation in their teaching. We're in a transitionary period between the Old Testament time and the time of Christ and is establishing the church. But we would teach that since the completion of Scripture, prophecy has not been a means of new revelation, but would, as a demonstration of the gift, proclaim what's already been revealed in the written word. Because in the old times, the Lord spoke through the prophets in all kinds of various ways, but now he's speaking to us through Jesus. And Jesus has... Uh, had his disciples begin to write those things down that were supposed to be written down, and we begin to understand this transition that goes from this uh, way that the Holy Spirit was speaking to the prophets to the way the Holy Spirit is speaking now. Now, during the formation of the church, we see predictive prophecy, and this is a, another little dynamic here that we need to keep in mind. It, during the formation of the church, especially as we get through Acts, we see predictive prophecy that's neither new revelation of the word of the Lord nor authoritative commands from the Lord. Okay, so we, somebody's a prophet, and I think you can remember a few of these. I'll give you a couple of examples. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Remember this? Now, at the, at the time, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, verse 28. One of these named Agabus, what did he do? He stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's at work. He's prophesying, and he's foretelling, okay, once again in the formation of the church, that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. So he verified... This is going to come, and it actually occurred. So he was speaking by the Holy Spirit. This is in the transition time from the Old Testament to now to the early church. And it was simply helpful revelation, wasn't it? 
It was, to, it was to benefit the church. The Lord loves the church. He loves the people. He tells through this guy Agabus, hey, there's going to be a, a huge famine. And, and we know later that there was some offerings taken to help in some areas where the church was large and people didn't have jobs. And so all this was prompted to move and do some work and do some ministry. Helpful revelation. We see it as a sign gift again in Acts chapter 19, verse 6. And we're taking in all this dynamic of prophecy because I want you to have a very wide understanding of how, how, how the spiritual gift of prophecy worked and how it works. And we're kind of making our way from very broad down to perhaps how it's applied in the New Testament. So in Acts 19.6, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in t- with tongues and prophesying. So what you have here, Paul's coming, he talks to a group and they have the baptism of John and they don't understand the Holy Spirit. No, what is the Holy Spirit? And so Paul says, okay, this is this part of this transitionary period. And so Paul lays his hands on them and they come to faith. And so they begin to speak in tongues, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, and prophesy. Once again, though, I think we can say, here we are verifying the message. We're verifying the messenger that the Lord's at work through his spirit establishing the church. It was verifying to these folks who were isolated and only understood what John had preached and the baptism of John to be brought into the greater body of, of, of Christ and verifying what Paul had said. Hey, this is the real thing. And so these things occur. Now, verifying the message, verifying the messenger, the Lord's at work. So as we differentiate then between the Old Testament prophets and the apostles and the gift that it's a work today, catch this, I think the best way to see the active gift is the gift of reiteration. The greatest, I think the greatest volume of it, even as it demonstrates in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is reiteration. There is some, we see the predictive prophecy, we see, we see the new revelation there, but the greatest bulk of the work of the spiritual gift of prophecy is reiteration. The canon of scripture is closed, so we don't have authoritative revelation of new words from the Lord anymore. Paul's words are broad enough now to take in all the definitions, but his point here is that the Spirit gives to some the ability to utter Spirit-inspired words which reiterate the message of God to the hearers. If you think about it then, even Paul had only a comparatively small amount of his teaching that was new revelation. And as you read through, perhaps, and I've drawn this to your attention before, but just to remind you, many times he would indicate which it was, whether it was new revelation or just him reiterating something when he would say, the Lord says. So the Lord says, in other words, I'm giving you this new revelation from the Lord. The Lord says this, okay? You, and then he'll say, this you've heard before, or a, a matter of way of speaking that, and then he'll say, I say, and so Paul says, the Holy Spirit's carrying me along to address the specific problem, so this is authoritative for you. So Paul sometimes just differentiates what's going on as he, be, as he writes. And so, but the vast majority of what Paul's ministry was, was a reiteration of what the Lord had already said. And, and so if you think about it, Peter, the same way, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, this is a great illustration. I think it really helps pull together uh, this understanding in Peter's second sermon. Here's what he says. He says this, Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, And that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which, now listen, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. That's a great connection, isn't it? Between what Peter's saying and what the prophets of old said. In other words, Peter is reiterating God's truth and referring to predictive prophecy that came before. Paul's just saying, okay, remember, the prophet said this was going to happen. Now I'm repeating this to you now and referring to what they said. So Peter, even there, even though he's using the spiritual gift of 
of a prophet. So he's, he's uh, forth-telling what God would have them know. He's referring to predictive prophecy that occurred before and just reiterating what they had said. And if you think about it, think about the biblical prophets, this emphasis on reiteration was certainly the major part of what they did. Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they spent lifetimes proclaiming God's word. And it is a much smaller percentage of what they preached that's recorded in the Bible as God's direct revelation or as predictive prophecy. They proclaimed God's word, and then they continually repeated and re-emphasized those truths as preachers today repeat, explain, and re-emphasize the word of God in Scripture. Now, obviously, there was direct revelation from God. Numbers 12.5, obviously, that was going on. And we, we don't want to minimize that. Part of the, the ministry of a prophet is a direct revelation from the Lord. In Numbers 12.5, we see it. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Arian and Miriam. And you remember this whole thing. They were questioning Moses' ability to lead and, and whether or not he was actually hearing from the Lord and what he was saying was actually true of a prophet. So they were questioning everything about this. Very shaky ground for them, as you remember. When they had both come forward, verse 6, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. Remember what we saw in Hebrews 1? The Lord did that in various times, in various ways. He spoke it through the prophets to the fathers. Okay, So he says, I would, I'd make known to him in a vision. I'll speak to him in a dream. That's some of the ways that he used to do that. Verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. So you're questioning this guy. He could have been just receiving it in a dream or a vision, but that's not how I'm talking to Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord... Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the Lord's just kind of setting up some authority here. He's like, listen, if I have a prophet, I'm going to speak to him in dreams, and I'm going to speak to him in visions, and he's going to proclaim my word, and he may give predictive prophecy, but Moses gets to actually see my form. So he gets to see the shape of the Shekinah, if you will, not God's actual, if you would, body, because God is incorporeal. But the fact of the matter is that here's Moses. He says, listen, this is what's going on here, okay? So... That appears to be a type of prophecy that Hebrews 1 is dealing with, which limits the definition of the gift for us. Now, as an illustration, I just wanted to use one more, and we can clarify. As you can see, it requires, I think, some, some uh, parsing out so we understand where we are in this gift and how it's, how it's manifest for us. Just one more of these we can clarify. A special gift of the Holy Spirit to individuals. Peter ties this together for us in 2 Peter 1.16. I really like this. This illustration is... Uh, um, where he says, when we preach to you using the gift of prophecy. It's a, really, it's a really great illustration. Look there. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when, now catch this, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So in other words, we weren't making this up. We saw it. We saw what happened. Okay? We're just reiterating then what we saw. We didn't make some, some cleverly devised tale up. We saw what happened with Jesus. And his power and his coming and his, his ministry work, we were there. And then Peter recalls a particular incident he can use as an example. Look at verse 17. For when he, that's Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So what's Peter referring to? You know this right away, right? He's referring to the transfiguration, isn't he? 
So Matthew 17, 5 and some other uh, gospel parallels tell us about the transfiguration of Jesus on the mount. So Peter says, listen, we were with Jesus when he came into his ministry. We watched his power. We saw what he said. So we weren't making this up. This is some kind of uh, cleverly devised tale. And not only that, we were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, and we heard God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we heard that utterance. Verse 19, so we have the prophetic word, catch this, made more sure. So everything that was talked about beforehand in the Old Testament, pointing towards Jesus, we saw and we heard ourselves. To which you do well, he, he says, to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. In other words, what we heard confirmed the new revelation and predictive prophecy that the Old Testament prophets passed on to us. We read it. We knew it was the word of the Lord. We knew it was predictive prophecy. We saw it occur. We saw him come into his ministry. We heard the Lord speak to him. And now we're going to reiterate that, and that's what Peter's doing. We're reiterating that to you. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of the scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, we don't just get to look at this prophecy and just kind of make up what it's going to say. Peter says, we didn't do that. We actually had it affirmed. We watched what went on. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So the prophecy of Scripture here in this context is just another way to refer to predictive prophecy from the old times that Peter's just reiterating and then confirming with his own eyewitness. So Peter says, everything we're reiterating to you came by way of the prophets who were empowered by God or carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then Peter goes on to say, now catch this connection to the church age. Listen to this. This is super important, okay? But, Peter says, false prophets also arose among the people. So not only did we have predictive prophecy that came true, that we saw in Jesus and witnessed and heard God say, but back then there were false prophets too who said things that weren't true. Just as, now catch this, just as there will also be false, now look at what the word he uses now, what is it? Teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So Peter says, just like there were people who did not speak for God, and we looked at some of those tests earlier, right, in Amos and Deuteronomy, what to do, what, how to figure out if they're speaking for God. So even in the Old Testament, how do we know if they're spiritual? How do we know if the Holy Spirit's at work? God gives them some parameters, just like he does when we move here into this chapter of Corinthians. Here's how you know. It's not going to be some ecstatic speech like you used to do when you're in the, when you're in the temple and, and in the false temples, and everything that they're going to say needs to magnify Jesus. So what goes on and the content of what goes on helps clarify it now. Peter says, listen, back there in the past, there were some prophets who were false, just like there'll be false teachers. So Peter says, just like there were people who did not speak for God, and we looked at some of those, either in direct revelation or predictive prophecy or reiteration, Peter says this, there will be people who will be false teachers today who won't be speaking for God too. Just like there was back then, now there will be today. They will not reiterate the sound teaching. They, they'll make things up. They'll deny. They'll distort the correct gospel and even make inaccurate predictions. Starting with S.D. Gordon back in World War I, you know, that was the beginning of, you know, here comes the, uh, you know, uh, all the end of times, you know, Hal Lindsey's 70s and 80s, it kind of dominated, you know, the prophecy thing, you know, false prophecy thing. Edgar Weisenhut, remember this one, 80, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Uh, you might not be old enough to remember that. I remember that book. Um, 
course, it, it went on 50% off after 1988. I mean, you can pick it up for really cheap. And uh, Harold Camping's predictions, I mean, he came out of California. He's, he's, uh, he's dead now. But number of books, all making predictive prophecy of when the Lord's going to come back. This for sure is the time. All of that, you know, along with a myriad of false teachers who don't reiterate the words carefully that are handed down to us, but secretly introduce destructive heresies. Men and women like, and I'm just going to name a few, okay? And uh, we don't do this often, but Rob Bell. So if, you're, if these are on your podcasts, okay, just get rid of them, okay? If I'm going I'm to mention some names. If you're getting podcasts from them, stop, okay? Just stop. Don't order any more videos from them. No more hankies that they'll pray over. Nothing, okay? All right, here's it, here it is. You know, Rob Bell, uh, Todd Bennell, Kim Clement, uh, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Jesse Duplantis, Stephen Furtick. Yes, Stephen Furtick, uh, John Hagee, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, Paula White, Joyce Meyer, Joel Olstein, okay? Rob Parsley, Peter Popoff, Joseph Prince, Robert Schuler, Robert Tilton, and we could go on and on. If you just want to know, go on the, if you have satellite, just go on those channels that are on deeper in the satellite, the religious sections, and most of those guys are on there would fall into this list, okay? And you may well gather, most of these guys and ladies are word of faith, and we talked about that, okay? They are, they are self-proclaimed healers and miracle workers. They've claimed that the gifts have returned. And so once again, I tell you, as I told you before, as soon as somebody says that, that comes under serious scrutiny. Why? Because this is exactly the problem Paul is having in the church. Just saying, listen, how do you know these people are spiritual? So you're going to gonna have to have some serious uh, filters to help filter through and filter out, if you will, those who are false. So they're deceivers, they've perverted the gospel, they misinterpret scripture. So when Paul says in verse 10, to another prophecy, understand, this is a spirit-empowered gift of speaking forth or proclaiming publicly the truths of God, a spirit-inspired speech for edification, exhortation, consolation. Obviously, it's a speaking gift. It would appear to be a permanent edifying gift, and we see it manifest today mostly in reiteration, okay? Those who have the gift... Call people to repent of their sin and turn to God, just like prophets of old did. The majority of everything that went on in the Old Testament was calling people to repent and turn to God. They make God's judgment on sin clear. Those who have the spiritual gift do that regularly. It cycles through all the time. And keep in mind, the fact that it is reiteration now doesn't mean it is any less spirit-empowered of a speaking gift. It doesn't mean it's some less gift because it's not predictive prophecy and it's a less gift because it's not some, this is a new revelation from the Lord. This is a powerful gift. It's very important and has a huge impact on the church. And we're going to see this again soon, but Paul helps us understand the importance of the gift in the early church. It continues right on until today. And this is where we get part of our definition. Listen to what he says in, in chapter 14, uh, which is where we, we get part of our definition that we just put up for you, okay? Now, first of all, he says in, number, in verse 1, he says this, pursue love. That's the most important uh, thing uh, for the body of believers. Love inside the body is the most important thing. We're going to see that. We're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 13. But love is the issue. Okay, pursue love, he says. Yet, so the first thing is pursue love, most importantly. Yet, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. These are good things. Just because people are misusing them doesn't mean you should try to avoid them or not manifest what the Lord's given to you. But especially, here's what he says, that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, that's not a flattering definition of tongues, and we'll talk about that more as we get there, okay? Verse 3, but one who prophesies speaks to men, catch this, for edification and exhortation and consolation. So how do we get edification, exhortation, and consolation? That is a reiteration of what the Lord has said over and over. 
in the appropriate context. Different ministries, different spiritual gifts, different outcomes, going to work in this gift of prophecy, which is producing edification, exhortation, and consolation. Okay? Now, one who speaks in a tongue edifies who? What's it say? Himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, we'll get to that, and we're going to break all that apart so we can get a good handle on that. But he edifies the church when he prophesies, and when he reiterates, so that he produces edification, exhortation, and consolation, because it's for the common good. Everyone benefits in that definition. The importance of the gift, then, is given in verse 1. The best definition for the gift, I think, is given in verse 3 that we just looked at. Now, as we move on to verse 10, we can see, now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, we can see an order here that, again, appears to be complementary. As we've worked our way through, we've seen this over and over. So he says, to one is given the gift of prophecy, and then look at verse 10 now, if you would, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits. Now, inside a wide variety of gifts, with a wide variety of ministries and outcomes, is this spirit-empowered gift, diacresis, distinguishing. It's a verb form of a court term having to do with rendering a decision or a judgment on a matter. So distinguishing of spirits, pneumaton, that's the noun. Now, that whole noun, pneumaton, can refer to the Holy Spirit. It can refer to demons. It refers to the inner man. It refers to the way of thinking of an inner man. So we're going to have to take in kind of a broad scope to figure out, okay, what is exactly it is that Paul's talking about if you have the spiritual gift of distinguishing of spirits. So, taking in the definitions which can be very broad, as we saw, the Holy Spirit, demons, inner man, a way of thinking. The gift can be defined then as this. It's the Spirit-given ability to differentiate between, here it is, a wrong thought and a right one. It's the ability to dispute false teachers or doctrines of demons or recognize lying spirits or identify deceptive and erroneous doctrine or to determine if something is of the Lord. There's a whole wide variety of the way the spirit, this gift of this discerning of spirits or distinguishing of spirits is going to be manifest in the church. Many different gifts, many different ministries, many different outcomes. So people who have this ability, the distinguishing of spirits, may have similar spiritual gift, but their work may be different than someone else who has this. Why? Because it has a wide variety of application. Super important, especially on the heels of spiritual gift of prophecy. And I think you can see that connection, right? Because if you have a false prophet, there's going to be people in the church who are very good at, because the Holy Spirit's given them this ability, to discern that what they just, that person just said is absolutely false, and here's why. And you know people like this, right, who are very astute in making this happen. So, it's a serving gift, very important gift, but it, like faith, may have the need to serve in the presentation of the discernment. So there may be some speaking involved, some edification, some, some exhortation that happens. But it, it's, a, it's a serving gift to the church for the common good and a permanent edifying gift. Now, as we think about that kind of thing, we know that Satan is the great deceiver and his demons counterfeit God's message and work. And they continue to do that now. That's not a secret to us. If you're aware of what's going on and you read the news and you watch what's going on on TV, you understand demons are at work. They're in high places. Uh, there's levels of demons at work, and we, that's who we wrestle against. Not flesh and blood, but spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. So we know that in the world we have a lot of questions about what is of the Spirit and what's fleshly. 
we, so believers with the gift of discernment have the God-given ability to benefit the church for the common good. The manifestation of the gift can differ, as Paul said earlier, and the application and the benefit will all be different, but one will will be proclaimed, the one will of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we saw at the beginning of this passage. Now, as we think about the previous gift, this gift of prophecy, it must often have been just as difficult to be sure whether a man claiming to be a prophet in the Old Testament was one just like it was just as difficult in the time of the early church and still difficult today. And as we race towards the end where the Lord is going to rapture the church, the deceiver is all the more busy deceiving people, even as it were to deceive the, uh, the elect if it was all possible. Okay, so very confusing doctrines, very difficult to discern, to see what people are doing and saying, okay, this is not right. We don't want to say this or we got to clarify what we're saying. So, so we think about that and how difficult it was in the Old Testament times, and the Lord gave his people the responsibility to discern. And of course, true prophets were able to point out, this is false. We see this all the way through the Old Testament. What he said was false. Don't listen to what he said. And in the early church, Paul says, listen, you're going to have to discern this. There's going to be lots of false teachers, lots of false manifestations of gifts inside the church. And today... Should this person be believed or not? So the Lord provides the resources to his church that it needs so it can handle what comes up in the intervening ages. Okay? His people back in the Old Testament, the early church, and the church now, and all through the ages up till now, and however much time we still have till the Lord comes back. He provides these people with the discerning of, the distinguishing of spirits to be able to come up and say, okay, this is what goes on. These are, if you will, you can just kind of write this in in, the, in your margin or, or additionally to uh, your your definition. These are the guardians. These are the watchmen. These are the helpers, the clarifiers. And, and, just, and, and remember this, okay? Just like it requires diligent study of the word to exercise the gifts of knowledge and wisdom and faith and prophecy, so it does with the sermon. You're going to have to know what the word says very clearly. But the Holy Spirit empowers individuals to be able to really see that clarification so it's so obvious to them they can point this out, okay? Now, that's really, I think, the emphasis as we think about the Word of God is 2 Timothy 2.15, right? Everyone is supposed to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth. Every gift, we said this, but just reiterate this, every gift will function inside the revealed Word of God. And again, it's interesting to note that although this is a special gift given to a few people, it's also one of those gifts that each member of the body is commanded to minister in whether they possess this particular gift or not. Remember when we said that last week? There are a number of things that you're commanded to do and minister in, even though you may not have that spiritual gift, but you're supposed to have some proficiency in those areas. This is one of them, okay? Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.20. Here Paul gives this instruction. He says, do not despise prophetic utterances. Now this is a really broad, this takes it a very broad section. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. And that's an interesting passage. It has a very large scope. In other words, verse 20 indicates that the gift of prophecy is still active in the church. So don't despise it. It could include, and we have to include it, predictive, new revelation, reiteration. We may see that at work, somebody doing that. Of course, I think if it's, it's a new revelation, we think that's false. That we think the canon is closed. We don't think someone can come up with new revelation. But Paul just says, listen, do not despise prophetic utterances. So we just have to take in the broad definition and narrow it down for where we are today, okay? Verse 21 then says, take a hard look 
A dokimazete, we've looked at that dokimos word several times. What's it mean? It's just, that's the verb we looked at before based in the ancient practice of dokimos, men who were trusted to examine coins before they went into circulation. In ancient times, lots of people minted stuff out of gold, and so these dokimos, these were the guys who were in the marketplace. They took the money, they made sure it was the weight it was supposed to be, it was worth what it was said it was supposed to be worth. And so we use this form of this verb here, and just what's supposed to happen, examine everything carefully. Each believer, even though they may not have the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits, is required to take care of their own understanding to some extent. And the Lord's gonna provide for the church in spiritual gifts of discerning of spirits inside the church, but each believer is supposed to minister in that area. So they're supposed to identify the counterfeit. The dokimos did that by comparing it to the written word and call it out and filter it out and, and, and uh, dispose of it. So the passage assigns that task to, to some extent to every believer. You have to be discerning. And then what it does is really great. I love this passage, even though it's so short. It really backs us into an understanding of the spiritual gift itself, where the ones with the special gift, what they're going to do is they're going to examine every new thing that comes to the church in whatever age it func as she functions and make sure they're genuine, make sure they're full value. See? So these are very important spiritual gifts to the church. They can identify the counterfeit, comparing it to the written word, call it out, filter it out, dispose of it. These spiritual gifts, the spiritual gift is very important in the church, particularly on the heels, as we saw, of the spiritual gift of prophecy. Old Testament believers even were instructed to have discernment, not just the prophets to help them understand the true prophets, but in Jeremiah 29.8, For thus the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Don't listen to them. There's a certain amount of discernment every believer, everyone who followed the Lord was supposed to have. Certain discernment required based on the knowledge of God. Paul demonstrates this gift. Now this is where we'll wrap up today, okay? Paul demonstrates this gift in a number of places. But in Acts 16, this is a great place where you can kind of see Paul and Silas, obviously Luke, are ministering at Thyatira. Verse 16 Here's what it says. Luke says, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So this is someone who divines spirits. This is someone in the Old Testament who would have been uh, stoned to death. The Lord said, get rid of all of them. This is, the one Saul, this is the type of person Saul sought out after he completely messed up and wanted to talk to Samuel after Samuel was dead. And mostly these are, are people who deceive people. They don't really talk. They don't talk to anybody who's dead. They just talk to demons. Remember Saul's uh, circumstance. He goes and the diviner uh, calls up Samuel. And for the first time in her entire life, she actually contacts the person she's going to talk to, which is why she's so shocked. But this is the kind of person that's going on. They're following Paul around. And she keeps crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Verse 18. So she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. So it's okay to be greatly annoyed if something like that's going on, okay? Don't think that that's a sin. He's greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now, what did Paul discern? Paul distinguishing a lie, he distinguished a lying spirit, didn't he? Inside this person. Even though what she was saying was essentially the truth at that point. The source of the information, though, was a demon. And Paul didn't want demons saying anything the girl was functioning as a medium, a spiritist, a diviner, and that's the last person Paul wants to witness about their ministry. So he just calls the whole thing out. He has a discerning spirit, and he discerns that spirit as a wicked one, a lying spirit, and calls it out and, and disposes of it. Now then, in 2 Thessalonians 2, here's another place where Paul exercises this gift. Check this one out. That one has lying spirit. This is doctrine. 
Okay, Paul says that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So what's come to his ear? There's some false teaching going on or some false understanding of what's supposed to happen. Someone is teaching that Christ's return has already occurred. The day of the Lord, that's what he's speaking about. That phrase or phrases that are synonymous, about 24 of those very clear references between the Old and the New Testament that talk about the day of the Lord and referring it to a time of judgment. So Paul says, listen, and we're going to get to see how spiritual gifts of discernment work. Verse 3, he says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Now, what's Paul relying on to discern what's going on here? He's relying on the Word of God, what he knows to be the revealed Word of God, what the prophets have already spoken, what they have foretold, what they have foretold is in his mind. He hears the false doctrine going on and says, no, that can't be the truth. Here's what the truth is. The apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? In other words, Paul says, I reiterated this to you over and over. It's the spiritual gift of prophecy. I told you what was going on. Don't, don't you remember this? But this is how it's supposed to be. So some things have to happen first, and he lists them. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, he reassures them that those who have already died won't miss the Lord's coming. They'll be with him when he catches the church away. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, and he's going to seat himself in the Jewish temple. And as a footnote for us, there will have to be a temple. Okay? So remember, there's still some order that has to go on here. If he's going to seat himself in the temple in the tribulation period, then there's going to have to be a temple for him to seat himself in. Okay? So again, we can just continue to keep ourselves straight chronologically. And so we still have to correct false doctrine concerning this time period. So Paul demonstrates the gift. He hears some false teaching that disturbed the church, or he notices some incorrect thinking about death and the Lord's return. And so he serves the church by differentiating between the wrong thought and the right one, or disputing false teaching, or identifying a demon's work, or the doctrines of demons, or recognizing a lying spirit, or identifying deceptive and erroneous doctrine, or to determine if something is of the Lord. And so he ministers to the church in that way, and those two illustrations of how the gift works. Now, finally, at the end of verse 10, look there. To another, he says, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, I'm going to say this because Paul is going to take the majority of chapter 14 and talk about this. So we don't have to break this down in depth because we're going to get there. And I don't, we're going to have to just be repeating what we were going to say here shortly. So Paul says, to another then, the spiritual gift of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, a spiritual gift of tongues would be... The ability to speak a known foreign language unknown to the speaker, known to the hearer, and the corresponding gift. We'll just put it together because we're going to talk about both of them in chapter 14. To another group of believers of translation without prior study. So the idea then, a spiritual gift of being able to speak in a known language, a known foreign language, unknown to the speaker, but known to the hearer, and then the corresponding gift of translating that without prior study. So various kinds, that's the Greek noun genos, that would just indicate uh, verify the gift wasn't restricted to just one language, various kinds of languages. Uh, the actual transliteration is the offspring of nations, if you will. So the idea is the various language groups, these are known. Not some unknown language, not some uh, ecstatic utterance. That's false manifestation. The true manifestation is a true gift of language, the offspring of the nations. In other words, a language of known people groups. This is a speaking gift. 
and a temporary sign gift. And as we said before, they were used as a sign to the Jews of their rejection of the Messiah, so they fulfilled prophecy, and like miracles and healings, they verified the salvation that had come and authenticated the speaker, and they authenticated the message. And we're going to look at this more in depth because nearly the entirety of chapter 14 will address it. But the true gift used the normal words for speaking a foreign language and translating it. The true gift was clearly identified, and listen, clearly identified in Acts 2, 5-12. We can see it at work. What went on? That's it. And it validated the gospel as from God. They were not discretionary. They weren't based on the spirituality of a recipient. They were used in an evangelistic effort that magnified Christ and magnified the gospel, which is exactly what Paul said at the beginning of this passage, remember? It's not going to be ecstatic utterance like you're used to in a false temple and false worship. That's not going to be it at all. And whatever is said is going to glorify God and glorify the gospel and bring honor and, and attention to Christ. And that's exactly how the gifts were used in Acts 2, 5 through 12. So Paul's going to have a lot to say about this later because we see the Corinthian church, this is the area they misused the most and counterfeited for the exaltation of the speaker. Now, as Paul closes out our outline section of gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to move on in chapters 12, chapter 12, 12 through 27, in the unity of the Spirit, he reminds the readers of what he said before. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. This is the fifth time Paul mentioned this in the chapter. He wants to make sure they understand. Listen, various gifts, various gifts, various gifts, various ministries, various ministries, various ministries, various effects, Various effects, various effects, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, one purpose. What is it? For the common good. See, The unity of the divine purpose comes out in the expression of one and the same Spirit. The various gifts do not point to various divine purposes that are conflicting with one another. It is the one God who gives them all, and the reminder is, as Paul lays this groundwork so they're not ignorant of the Spirit's work, the gifts are not to be set over and against one another as though their possessors were rivals. Those who have them are to cooperate in working out one divine purpose. So the Spirit distributing to each one individually just reminds us that God deals with us as individuals. He's not just throwing them out there kind of indiscriminately. He's giving them individually, and everyone has them, which I remind you means that you are a debtor to everyone else it, in the church at Berean. You have a spiritual gift, you're a debtor to use it. And then he says, just as he wills, and he, that's the Holy Spirit, knows what the church needs. And he gives them the capacity to meet those needs by people he plants in the church for every time the church is working. So, I think that gives us a great basis for understanding the spiritual gifts. And then we can move on into the unity of the Spirit as Paul really wants to draw them back together with one mind and how they're going to express it. Then he's going to give uh, the priorities of the Spirit, the things that are to be going on and the things that aren't to be going on, and why and how you can identify that and correct it in the church. So conduct in the church is Paul's emphasis. He gives a basis for spiritual gifts, and he's going to show the unity of those gifts and then how those are supposed to be used, okay? So that's where we're headed as we work our way through the outline Paul has set up as bound prayer. And then I'm going to invite uh, Bill to come up with Emily, and they're going to give us an, an outline of what's going to go on in their very soon uh, short-term outreach to Guatemala. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to be in your word. We thank you today for its clarity. We thank you for uh, the understanding we get to have as we have the completed canon of scripture that we can cross-reference and see the things that went on. We thank you for our position in history as we can look back uh, on uh, the history up till now and see actually what occurred and understand your work there. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'll be discerning. But most of all, as we understand these 
these, uh, these doctrinal issues, which are important for us, for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. So not only we understand the doctrine, but that we will understand how it personally applies to us, which is that we have been gifted, no question about that, that we're a debtor to other members of Berean. If we're not using our spiritual gifts somewhere, then we are not in your will, which we translate that as sin. Finding a place to serve and serving faithfully is what you desire for us to do, that we be found as servants ministering to one another when you come. So as we take away the, the important doctrine and the, and the basis for what we understand to be true and the discerning nature we can bring to uh, what's going on today, we also understand that uh, over to part of all of that, we don't want to just be Pharisees who know the truth, but we want to work the truth out in our own life. And as it applies to us, that is the ministering of our gifts inside the church for the common good. And we pray this uh, will be your way you work through us. We know this is your will. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen.